Hello and welcome to this episode of the PE Podcast. My name is Jack Jacob and I am your host. In this episode, I'm joined by Paul By the Way, who's the Chief Operating Officer at the University Hospitals of North Midlands. Paul talks about a very happy childhood growing up in Wolverhampton and really having a passion for being involved in clinical settings that started at a young age when he volunteered for St. John Ambulance, something he'd done all through his career. Paul talks about moving to London to find the person he wanted to become after coming out as gay at the age of 21 and how he feels that the big city was both exciting and overwhelming for him at that time. Paul's very passionate about working for the NHS, discussing that it gives him a sense of family, belonging and really important that it makes a difference to him and other people's lives. Paul emphasises engagement, involvement, resilience and being visible as a leader qualities he also uses to advocate for the LGBT community, particularly within the NHS. Please do enjoy this episode as we get to know the person behind the job title. Hey everybody, before we get into today's conversation with Paul, just want to give a shout out to this episode's sponsors, Improve and Just Are. Improve are the UK's first system flow consultancy They're a disruptive and innovative consultancy business who are focused on helping the NHS and local authorities to improve the flow of people, information and resources across health and care systems. Last year, Improve's co-founders Liam and Sam were heavily involved with the mobilisation of the UK's first fully integrated care trust, which integrates primary care with community, physical and mental health services. This first-of-its-kind organisation will have responsibility for the health and well-being of the whole population of their local health economy, working to an outcomes-based contract to deliver its revolutionary services. As many of our listeners today will know too well, the healthcare transformation and technology markets are diverse and complex. Knowing what works, how it's best deliver your requirements, but also how it offers best value for money is challenging. When you add up the mix, there's a need to optimise complex interagency care pathways requiring specialist and expert modelling, planning, redesign and change management. The improved belief is that this is only possible if all parts of the healthcare industry work together. For more information, please visit www.m-prove.io. That's www.m-prove.io. Just R help NHS organisations to recruit nurses and other clinical staff using the latest digital marketing strategies and social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. To be very clear, Just R are not a recruitment agency, but an NHS specialist digital marketing agency that primarily focus on marketing trust recruitment needs to fulfil recruitment teams' pipelines with both experienced and graduate candidates through targeted online campaigns. Alongside this, they've recently built from scratch a next generation candidate pipeline management system which allows trust to track both the marketing campaign engagement but also the status of candidates within the recruitment process. Justar recently completed a 12-month project with Norfolk and Norwich University Hospitals where they delivered 108 nursing appointments through targeted digital marketing campaigns with an average cost of each hire of only around £350. They work now with over 30 trusts across the UK. So if you do have permanent recruitment challenges, particularly around nursing and clinical staff, please visit just 
hyphen r.com forward slash peony that's just hyphen r.com forward slash peony to arrange some time to speak with rachel and her team about how they can help you achieve a 21st century approach to recruiting your clinical workforce well paul thank you so much for joining me and being part of um this podcast series i'm doing so great to be talking to you and I think uh, one thing that's kind of good for me as well is that, you know, you and I don't know each other too well. We've only been talking last kind of couple of weeks um, as we've uh, been building up to do this. Um, so it's nice, be nice for me to get to know you a bit more and find out a little bit more about your journey and who you are. Yeah, and yeah, really looking forward to it, uh, Jack. Good, good, good. So look, let's start, um, let's start with, uh, with kind of where you grew up and, and kind of how you did in school and so on. So, so where, where are you from? Where, are you, where was you based as a, as a child? So I'm from uh, from Wolverhampton. Still, still live uh, in Wolverhampton. Um, about six doors away from my mom. Not sure that's a good thing or a, or a bad thing in, in many respects. Although I've travelled around the uh, the country with my job, I've al- I've always had a home here in Wolverhampton. So, so with that, do you, do you have you always um, maintained like a house that you have for say the weekend, and you've travelled? Um... Back, um, back and from, or have you, have you, is it just because you're now working in the Midlands that you've now got a home back in uh, West? Um, yeah, where, you know, when I, when I worked in Portsmouth, uh, home was always uh, Wolverhampton. We've got a house in, in Wolverhampton. Uh, and we, we, I mean, uh, I've, blah, 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 blah. Great start, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, have you always lived? Have you always lived in Wolverhampton, or um, um, when you moved away, when you worked down south and stuff? Have you, or have you? And is it just now that you've now bought a home because you're back in the Midlands? No, no, we've always had a house in uh, uh, Wolverhampton. This has always been our base, no matter no matter where we've worked. Right. So, with that, do you, what happens then? Do you travel when you work away? Do you travel, um, say, Monday to Thursday? Uh, where you're where you're based, live on live on site or live on um, campus, I think. So, so now that I'm in Stoke, it's, it's only forty minutes away from home. So, so it's a it's a you know you, I go on go in the morning, come back on an evening. When I worked in Portsmouth, it was a Monday to Friday down in Portsmouth, or we we had an apartment in Portsmouth actually, uh, overlooking the sea. So uh, we would alternate weekends between home uh, uh, and being down in Portsmouth by the sea. Yeah, lovely having a holiday home. One thing it's made me want is a holiday home going forward. Yeah, there we, there we go. Yeah. So, so you grew up in Wolverhampton. So, so um, what was school like for you then? How did you do in school? So, actually, all, all my memories of being a child are all really, really positive. Great family life, great school life, librarian, prefects, uh, all of those uh, in charge things that were there from a uh, very early on. Academically, you know, um, struggled. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't the brightest. I had to work really hard at what I wanted to do. I always, you know, I wanted to be successful. Wanted a good job, and to do that, I had to put the had to put the hours in. Very supportive parents, um, normal parents. Mom was a cleaner. Dad was an engineer. Dad spent a lot of time doing uh, homework with me, uh, supporting me. So all all my childhood stuff. I really remember in a really, really great way. And friends now that, you know, some of my friends I've known for, you know, 40 years, we've been through school mm. and we've grown up together. So they're really good. Awesome. Awesome. So what did you want to do growing up then? Did you always want to work for the industry? Because as far as I can work out, you've 
you've literally always worked for the NHS, haven't you? And and done some work with St John Ambulance. Yeah, so uh, up until I was about 14, I wanted to be a solicitor. That that was kind right. of always where I was where I was going. Um, uh, as you said, I, I you know I've worked for St John Ambulance as a volunteer for 37 years. Joined when I was 10, so you wow. can do that and work out that I'm 47 uh, uh, now. Uh, and then by the time I got to 14, I, I just got a different aspect on on life and um uh enjoyed being on first aid events enjoyed meeting mixing with with people and, and then just made the decision that I, actually i wanted to be a nurse um yeah and, and that was my my first calling you know uh I, I wanted to be the charlie fairhead of the real nhs from which sounds really 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 corny is he the guy out of casualty yeah he's the guy out of casualty yeah, <laughs> yeah. the white the white haired guy yeah yeah he's white yeah, yeah i know who you're talking about yeah but, but when I was 14 or 15, you know, that's absolutely where I wanted to be. I, I wanted to be in ED and I wanted to be the senior nurse uh, in ED. So therefore that, that set me on a completely different career path, really. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you, so you went to university and done a degree in nursing, is that right? Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. What, what year was that then? 1992. 92. So Ninety two to ninety five. That was the degree was from ninety two to ninety five. Yeah, September ninety two at the University of Wolverhampton. Right. There we go. Was it back then? You know, in the nineties, for 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 you know, for the stereotypes and and perhaps things that shouldn't be stereotyped. You know, it was probably back then. I can imagine it was nurses were, were women and doctors were men. Right. How was that for you enrolling in a in a nursing degree? So, I, you know, it, it never felt strange, or it never felt, you know, like it wasn't wasn't the right thing for me to do. In my cohort, there was about one hundred and fifty people, uh, you know, student student nurses, all of us yep. together, of which about twenty of them were were male. So it was wow. actually quite a big cohort of yep. of, you know, of men in, in nursing. Mm. Still think the stereo. If you look at nurses in emojis or whatever, they're always female. You know, there there are very few uh, pictures of, of male of male nurses. Although it's becoming more prominent, and there's a big movement called men in nursing at the moment to try and you know change that sort of gender stereotype of what yep. nurses are are, are going to be like. Um, but it was always the right thing for me to do, and you know, um, it, it's a it's a fantastic profession. So I'm still registered uh, now. You know, it's a great profession to be to belong to. And you know, during COVID, you know, we've seen some fantastic, uh, fantastic ways of working from nurses, doctors, AHPs, everybody. Yeah, yeah, of course. No. So did did you have to um, at any point? Because I spoke to a couple of um, senior leaders within NHS that are registered nurse still, um, and there was they had to do a bit of retraining just in case with the COVID stuff that they would have to have uh, been kind of deployed on on wards did you have to do any of that no so so uh my my chief exec was really clear that if, if that my role had to be running the incident and and, and we couldn't mix it with you're yeah. a clinic, you need to go need to go over there so yeah you know i, I was fit tested for all all of the masks and things like that as were the chief exec as were the chief nurse the medical director 
So, so uh, you know, but my role was always going to be incident commander rather than mixing the two because someone has to hold the ring on on these things uh, all the time. And actually, you probably wouldn't want me uh, looking after you now after all these years uh, of not being safe face to face. Makes sense. What what what's it about the NHS that's that's kind of kept you so loyal for so long? Sense of family sense of belonging, uh, sense of doing something for the greater good, being involved in, in people's lives, whether that's staff or, or patients. Yeah. To the great stories or actually listening to the bad stories, but knowing how you can change them, working with patients, staff to, to change services. That there's no safe, greater sense of accomplishment, I think, than, than working in an organisation that is dedicated to helping people and people in that organization all want to do the best for the people that they are looking after. And that brings a great sense of, uh, uh spirit, uh, with yeah. nicely put really, really nicely put. So, so talk to me about then, um, cause I know that you, you like to travel. Um, cause I've, you know, looking at your, your LinkedIn, you've worked Dudley, uh, you've worked Portsmouth back in the Midlands, so yeah. you know, have, so so obviously you know you, you um when, when did you move away then first time from from the Midlands then? Okay, so I, well, I graduated in '95. Uh, yeah, uh, um, and it was a, it was a really interesting year for me for two reasons really. Uh, one, I, I moved away from home for the first time. I I moved to London. Uh, yeah. And, and how uh, old were you at this point? How old were you? Twenty-one. Twenty-one. I was 21 in uh, the, the, the British capital, the bright lights of the city. Uh, and also I'd, I'd just come out as a, as a gay man um, and hence moving to, to London to find myself really uh, um, by being the person I want, wanted to, I, I wanted to and needed to be, um, you know, and so being a gay man in London I thought would be easier than being a gay man in Wolverhampton. I don't think there was a difference. It's just the it's just the things you think of uh, mm. when you're you're coming out, which is a really important time uh, for anybody who recognises themselves as LGBT plus. Sure, makes sense. So, so who? So, talk to me about that that coming out because that's obviously a major, major moment in your life, right? Um, how, did you did you struggle with coming out? Was that was that um, a thing that took you a while? Took up courage for you to do? So I, th- I think it was, you know, once once I had come to terms with it myself, and I think that was probably the, you know, we're going back 20-odd years, aren't we? Uh, um, society was different then. Um, will I be accepted? Won't I be accepted? Will my family kick me out? You know, those are all the things that go through your, yeah. through your head. Once I decided to do it, I, I had a very positive experience of, of coming out from friends and, and 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 family you know and that's that's not universally recognized across the country there are people who have terrible experiences but for me my family was supportive um my friends were supportive did they know before did your family expect it uh, I think if you asked my mom the question, she said she was expecting it when I was 16 uh but not when I was 21 because of the, the girlfriends uh, I'd right. had but right. by, by by that time um uh some some people said yeah we knew some people said really uh you know it it, it was um 
it, it was a mix of the match. But I think once once I've made that decision, it was an easy, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't hide things very well. It needs to come out. I've always been there since I was two years of age. My mom said, if I've got something to say, I'll, I'll say it. Uh, and actually, it was out and it was done within a matter of weeks. And then, and then I was off to off to London. Right. And you know, I'm, I'm a, I've been happily married now to my husband Aaron uh, for uh, four years. We've been together for twenty uh, twenty right. uh, years. He puts up with a lot with me being a public uh, public servant. Um, but our families have mixed together, our lives have mixed together, and, and actually, um, I say we, we've never had any any challenges. But that's you know, we're lucky. We're lucky yeah. in that respect. Of course. Oh, amazing, amazing story. So, so, so you moved to London. So you just come out as gay. You moved to London. What was that like being in the capital, the bright lights, places like Soho? Because you probably not experienced, yeah. um, you know, that kind of community and that that kind of hub where um, the, the the community and the LGB community kind of congregate. Yeah, I mean, it was it was exciting. It was overwhelming. It was scary. It was lonely you know, all these feelings of excitement about being in the city, uh, the big city with the big lights and the massive hospitals and the big clubs versus the, how do I, how do I cook for myself? You know, yeah. all, all of those things mixed in, mixed into one. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate that the, the, I, I worked at university college in their um, cardiac unit and I, I, I made some good friends down there who took me out and introduced me to, london uh as a as a city and a, and a home and so you know it was um uh, yeah you know within six months the the fear the loneliness had disappeared and it was exciting to be experiencing getting on the tube every day going past buckingham palace yeah the, the hustle even now you know so 20 years later i get off the train at euston in london and automatically i i fall into this is my home and I know where I'm going on the tube and, and all of those things. How did you, how long did you stay in London for then? Seven years. I came back. In, oh, wow. So quite a while. Came back in 2002. So all of my clinical career. So, um, a &E nurse, uh, uh, a clinical site manager, uh, all of my clinical work was done down in London. And then when I, when I moved home, I moved into a, um, into a general management role. And by that time, that's the career path I'd, I'd chosen. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you went into then. So, so you, did you become your Charlie then? So you become the the A and E nurse, or not? Not the A and E senior nurse. No. Right. I got to be. Um, it, it was a G grade. Uh, a G grade in those days, which was a it's a senior assistant, senior charge nurse, and and then I then I moved out of A and E nursing into clinical site management, duty management. Right. Hospital and that and that being a duty manager gave me a whole breadth of experience across the whole organisation, every department, every specialty. You were the person to go to, and that's what pushed me down a general management career. Right, right, that makes sense. So going back then, because you you know it didn't take too long for you to get into a leadership role then. Um, but before you said that you'd been um, librarian, prefect. Um, did you always possess and show leadership qualities? So I, I think if you ask my teachers, uh, I, you know, the answer would be yes. I was chair of school council uh, for, two, for two years. I was vice chairman of the uh, the British 
uh, Youth Council for three years. So I was sort of engaged with MPs and uh, activism for the rights of young people. I was chair of the St John Youth Council for five years. So I think if you plotted my history all the way back, yeah, yeah. I was always in some form of leadership engagement role with with people in the in the wider context. Yeah. Did you, did you did you feel that you or do you, do you now kind of doing a, a reflection and looking back? Do you think actually, yeah, I probably did show quite strong leadership skills then because you don't fall into things like that by accident. You don't become the vice chair of the British Youth Council. You don't become the uh, say the the um, junior chair of the St John's. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess I guess it's interesting. I, I don't I don't remember thinking twenty years ago that I'm a leader, you know, mm. for me, I, I've been involved in, in these charities for a long time and, and it was a part I wanted to play in supporting that charity. That's probably my youth and that's probably my naivety if you, if you, if you, look, you look back. You know, if, if you then look forward for 25 years, every job I've then gone for, once I've got to like a um, junior charge nurse role, was always then about the next step and trying to climb the ladder. But I think when I was 19, 20, it was more about, um, you know, being involved and doing something different, but they were all leadership roles. You know, yeah. They've all, they've all been the tapestry of what I've got, which has got me to where, where I am, uh, where I am now uh, in, in the NHS. Makes sense. So, so what does leadership mean to you then? What, what's good leadership? Engagement, uh, involvement, being visible, being firm uh, but fair, uh, um, you know, uh, trying to be ensure that you have a rapport, particularly at board level, because I think it's it's really difficult to, uh, at board level to build relationships, but but to try and build a relationship with the greater community of the hospital, you know, whether you're a band two, a band eight a or whoever, that actually people recognise you for the role that you play and the supportive role uh, that, that you play in an organisation. We, during COVID, for example, we, we've done Facebook Live sessions with our, uh, our staff Facebook page. We've got about 5,000 people uh, on it. And it's every Friday and we regularly get a couple of hundred people joining in uh, who are people who don't have access to executive directors normally. And they've been able to ask us questions directly about how they are feeling, you know, in an open, transparent way. And for me, leadership in the NHS is, re is really, really about that, being able to connect with people across the whole organisation, no matter, no matter where you are, that mm. people are able to ask you questions and you have a two-way conversation. Yeah, because you're fairly active on social media, it is anyway, Twitter, LinkedIn, because uh, obviously that's where kind of we first engaged was LinkedIn. Um, but uh, I'm actually relatively in, in Twitter terms. I'm relatively new to Twitter. Probably only about four, four and a half uh, years. Uh, and and you know, again, only once I became a, a chief operating officer did I want to engage with Twitter because I wanted people to be able to contact me, engage with me, for me to give messages about the great work you know that our teams. I love Twitter, retweeting what our teams are doing. Uh, uh, in the hospital, you know, no, no greater uh, pleasure than talking to staff or seeing what our staff are doing for, for patients. Fantastic, love it. Yeah, 
Makes sense. Do you have many patient interactions on there? Because your handle's like uh, U-H-N-M-C-O-O, isn't it? A few, a few. Uh, um, and actually, actually, I was going to say, it's more about when people have, have had not had such a positive experience. But, but actually, it's 50-50. You know, uh, you, you, I think you get the good and you get the, you get the bad. And, 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 and that's, you know, that's great. You know, the good and the bad, we can solve, we can solve the boat. Um, and, and I do think visible leadership means that's exactly what it is. You're visible to everybody. You're visible to the community in which you, uh, which you work, which allows people to contact you. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, and you talk about having, it's hard to form relationships at board level. Why do you say that? Is it because it's quite political? Is it a case where, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is it a case where you don't want to open up to too, too much to people because you don't want people to have ammunition and be able to stab you in the back? Is, is it that sense or? Um, I, I think you've misinterpreted it. You know, it's, it's difficult to for the board. I mean, you H&M, all my jobs, we've all, we all get on really well. So that's, yeah. it's, not, it's not at board level, it's, Board level members being able to form relationships. Sorry, the Bantus on the on on, yep. on the ward. You know, how, how do we feel? You know, we, we have a very visible chair. We have a very visible chief executive. I'm very visible. The chief. You know, we're we're all out there a couple of times times a week because we want people to tell us what it's really like. You know, um, we can read a performance report. We can read any report, but actually, what's it like today? For the Bantu in A and E, or what's it like for the junior biochemist in in labs? You know, being out there and and making people feel comfortable to mm. tell you how it is is about the visibility and about the relationships. Yeah, not, not board members. Sorry, makes makes sense. Makes sense. I'll sh- I'll sharp now. Um, <laughs> You've ruined my whole career. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, now. You talk about kind of low members. I've spoken to people and they're saying like some of the most important relationships that we have, especially for like information gathering and, and not that you'd use these people for information, but relationship with porters and cleaners and those kind of people as well. Really, really super. Because they know, they probably know what's going on on the hospital on a day-to-day basis and um, where there's harmony, where there's cohesion, et cetera, et cetera, perhaps more than senior leaders because they don't see it as much. What, what, I, just before we went into lockdown, uh, one of my back to the floor shifts, which, you know, before lockdown, I used to do about three a month where I'd go and spend time with the team. I spent in switchboard, um, uh, uh, sitting with the switchboard operators for three yeah. And that was fascinating, something I'd never done. Uh, um, and listening to the challenges, they, it gave a completely different perspective on teams and how teams worked. And I came away with a whole list of, you know, uh, what the hospital looked like on a switchboard operator's perspective, yeah. which was fascinating. And things I discovered in those three hours that the teams were doing uh, within their own teams to sort of, you know, uh, support themselves was having a direct impact on on switchboard. Fascinating. And, and, and you're right, you know, uh, back in the days when I was a site manager, a duty manager, the porters, the switchboard were always the people you needed to keep on side because they were the people that were going to help you when you most needed it, when you most needed it. Because they, yeah. knew, they knew everything that was going on, and I'm sure they still do at UH&M. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. So talk to me um, about 
you know, your, your personal life then. So, um, you, you, you look to be an avid reader, um, uh, with your, with your book, with your, I can't even speak your big book. Um, um, uh, so, so you're a reader, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Reader. Um, everything really I've got, I, there's all around here and all around the, the bedrooms up here. There are, there are books everywhere from fiction to leadership books, uh, non-fiction crime, crime books, emotional intelligence, you name it. There's a whole host of books that just fascinate me. And I, I don't, I don't have a particular, what I, what I usually do is put a, something on Twitter or, or Facebook that goes, what's everybody reading at, uh, at the minute? To try and pick up a, a variety, uh, a variety of, uh, of books. So re- reading is one of my, you know, of an evening, come home, glass of wine, switch off, uh, uh, and, and read a book. Um, uh, you know, alongside you know, gym and walking and uh, you know, and things like that. Yeah, makes sense. So, what what's your favourite book, or have you got a couple? God. Um, so, okay, what, okay. What's your favourite fiction book? What's your favourite, say? biography and what's your favorite self-improvement leadership type book so three books there's a there's a series of books called the rosy effects which are uh which is uh, a comedy uh and is about love but in a strange kind of emotional uh emotional uh way uh so i, I really there's about four of those i really enjoyed those uh the tattoo of auschwitz was a was a really really deep uh, deep book and they've done seen the book. I've seen the film I've seen the film it's an incredible film yeah, and it, it just is it's just really um, you know it, it really just transport you to a different time and, and they've just done a follow up book actually uh, yeah. which I've, I've forgotten the name but, and again that, that's as intense as, as the tattoo of Auschwitz and, and it follows people through the journey from you know the, the wartime Germany to then liberation and those that were then incarcerated in in you know the east uh, you know the the the, the iron curtain. Um, I, I'm reading a um, a book. We it's not really reading a book at the minute. Um, it's about it's a book about um, meditation and every day you get a different um, meditation to read and ponder on. And there's one for every day of, of the year. Um, and I've started doing Couch to Five K. Uh, and actually, what what I do is I I read um, uh, the, the daily meditation each morning, and then when I'm running, that's what I try and think about, and that tries to get me to focus on well being and you know changing things that you can change and and not worry uh, about those things. So huge rack of things that that I, I read that I, I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I love I love reading too. I just don't do enough of it enough of it, and it's like one of those things you know when I go on holiday. I'll I'll really read on holiday and I'll get really into it and I'll, I'll order a load of books and I come back and it dwindles and dwindles. And actually, I haven't thought about this for ages actually, but at the start of the year, um, so when, when we started in January, I thought there was some changes I wanted to make in the business and I wanted to um, you know start to really improve the team. So I scheduled in, to you know, we had a set time, I think it was like for between 10 and 10.30 every day as a company, we read for half an hour every single day. Um, and we'd done that, you know, for two and a half months before, uh, just show, yeah, about three months before, um, um, you know, uh, things went into lockdown. Um, and I tell you, we need to pick it back up. It's our first day back in the office, actually. So, um, hence me being in the office. Uh, so, um, but yeah, it was, it was really, really good. 
I mean, I, I, I love those books that are, uh, you know, are just slightly, you know, well-being, make you think about what you do every single day. And I bought one, we went to the Tate Modern just before uh, lockdown and I bought, it's called The, the School of Life. Uh, and and that's, that's an alternative look at what we do every single day, but from a meditation and well-being point of view. It's really interesting, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, so I've started running in lockdown, um, and, um, done, um, yeah, a few five Ks. I've done one 10 K as well, but I, I actually listen to podcasts or audio books while I'm doing it. I tried to listen to music while I was running, but I couldn't, it was basically too many, like I'm too technically ungifted to create a playlist on Spotify basically. So I'd stick on a pre-made one and it was just annoying me that songs were coming on that I didn't like. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so yeah, so I, I I I don't know if you've listened to any audio books or podcasts whilst you've been running. I I could think of nothing worse, to be honest. Really? Just because I'm concentrating to get to the end of the run. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, it. Takes your mind off it. Uh, you know, I, I, the, the podcast that I do listen to is the Diary of a CEO. Yeah, Stephen uh, Bartlett, love it. Just, I mean, he, uh, you know, his 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 journey of leadership is is unreal. Uh, yeah. What's been your favourite episode of his? So I I like the one that he's just done about about lockdown and being looking after yourself and um, how people um, how people can attack things in different ways, but keeping the positive mindset and how he does it through. So he's a journaler, you know. I I've written a journal for probably about eighteen months, two years now, and how how using the journal to channel negative energy out. To keep the positive thoughts in in your your head. In fact, I've, li- I've listened to it about three times. Was every time you listen to it about you know where he's where his his business partner was. I think brings a, a different different reflection to dealing with um, uh, you know those inner demons that we all have. We've all got inner demons about you know leadership and particularly during COVID, will I must make a mistake? What what will happen? channeling that positive energy uh he, he appears to be very very good at um, and yeah. like i've kept a journal for a good couple of years uh now um talk uh, to me about that. have you just before you talk to that because i want to ask you about that and why you think it's important um have you listened to the joe wicks podcast with him uh yeah the, actually, yeah, the I, I, one, yeah and again joe joe wicks's story from nothing to standing outside a tube really? station Fishing out flyers to, you know, the huge hits he has on on uh, you know YouTube, and uh, again, you know, real effort, real charisma, yep. real determination. Um, can and, and anybody can be successful. You know, I, you know, I can I come from a, a normal family. You know, mom's a cleaner, dad's a, a factory uh, worker. But you know, if, if everybody works, if you're focused on where you want to go. And you plan, and I think that's the important thing about leadership. You, you plan where you want to go when you and, and how you can get there. Mm. You know, the, 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 the sky's the limit, really. Yeah, yeah, and no, I definitely completely agree. And I think too many people are drifting, and so like I have clear goals. Like, I know what I, I know what I wanted to achieve, and and, and I probably need to make mine um, less business focused. Um, I'm probably a bit too, you know, um, me being brutalist, you know, I, 
I need to work on becoming a better dad and creating more time for my family and, and being there for my kids more and um, being more patient and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and that, that, that's kind of where I need to get to and that where I need to set some goals around and probably me thinking about this and talking about this now is probably the first time I've really talked about it or thought about it. Um, I mean, I think, I think resilience is, is something that, how old are you? 26. You, 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 we, none of us, none of us think about resilience at 26. And, and I, I personally think what I know now, if, if I'd have been taught when I was a, was a, you know, we go back to my clinical career and I was a G grade. And then when I became a, a, um, a, a directorate manager, the importance of well-being and home life versus work life, you, you, they were out the window. I didn't care if I worked 13 hours a day every day at that time, because actually I was able to. Um, I, 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 what does resilience mean? Talk to me about what actually resilience means. So, so for me, reading is part of my resilience. Gym is part of my resilience. Knowing that on a Thursday night, I always finish work at four o'clock on a Thursday because I come home and I cook tea. That's, that's my job on a Thursday. And being able to make sure you can turn off your work head to give you some, some downtime. And, and, and understanding the reason I started writing a, a journal was because everything was merging into one, um, uh, you know, and actually, uh, um, you know, I, I went to see um, a counsellor because it, it was becoming too much. Uh, and actually, and, be, and taking that first step of going, do you know what? I'm struggling at the moment. I need to go and offload my feelings to be able to put them back in in a, in a more organised way was, was the biggest step. You know, once I'd made that step, you know, uh, I, I saw a, a wonderful lady for about four months who all she ever did was replay my own thought back to me in a, in a different way. Um, and and I, I, I wish I'd learned what she taught me 10 years ago in terms of being able to stay positive, use journaling, uh, Headspace as, a, as an app to keep focus because, you know, it's OK not to be OK. But it's okay not to deal with not being okay because you, it, it will just become a problem for, yeah, for everybody. It's not okay to not deal with it. And, and, uh, part of, we, we've just started at UHM uh, an engagement process with our directorate managers. And the first thing that I've, I've done for them uh, is arranged uh, resilient sessions uh, uh, because they need to learn it now, not, not learn it when, they're at, when there's a problem you know, learn it now and learn how to deal with it and learn to recognise what triggers you. Because once you know what triggers you, you can then de-escalate yeah. it much quicker. If you could share anything with me, that'd be amazing. Um, I'd, I'd be keen to see anything. Yeah, that's... Because um, for me, resilience is more about being resilient and being, um, you know, tenacious and... and, and um, uh, being resilient in a sales perspective, basically, and not giving in and, and not, not, not saying, not getting, not, not letting that no damage you, that kind of, that's what I meant. That's for me, that's what resilience means for me and probably many salespeople. And, 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 and actually, but, but, but that, I think, I think we're, we're saying, you know, actually somebody saying no is not a knock. It's a learning experience. Someone said no, because I haven't thought something through it just, or it doesn't fit or, or I need to try something or I need to try something different. Um, you know, and, and, and being able to understand that, you know, from every knock you learn rather than 
turn it in and make it about you because it's not it isn't about you it's, it's about you know going forward and I think if you'd have asked me definitely when I was 26 probably even when I was 36 you know I you know how do you how, how are you resilient you know well the answer would have been I've got a good set of friends and actually I go down the pub and I you know we we, we thrash it out out there but that only half offloads some of the uh, of the problems being able to take control yourself is really important yeah makes sense makes sense um let's move on um talk to me about the pro- proudest moment in your career or your life in fact gosh so i guess the the, the proud the proudest moments uh i think would have been when i got my first um uh, charge nurse uh job uh, and you wear the dark blue of the uh, of the sister, uh, you know. Um, so I, I think becoming a charge nurse in A and E was probably the the proudest moment. I, I, I've had a couple of wow experiences. So um, uh, I've been to two garden parties uh, at Buckingham Palace, which were just really uh, were just um, unreal. Uh, one in ninety uh, seven. Uh, both have been with St. John Ambulance, uh, right. but, but one in uh, one in '97 uh, for the VE Day uh, parades, and then uh, back 2005, uh, uh, six as part of the work we done within the West Midlands for St. John. That it, that, you know, that, that, that was that was just an unbelievable um, uh, uh, experience. Um, and and we uh, when I was at Dudley, we got a HSJ award for the most improved uh, A&E performance. So taking the whole team to London uh, and winning that award uh, was just a real collective show of strength from the whole team. You know, the whole team had, had, had delivered. So um, uh, yeah, some really really great memories of both St John and uh, and working in the uh, working in the NHS. Why St John? Why did you do it? I, why do I do it now, or why did I do it originally? Oh, why, why, why did you? Why, what, what? You know, you've done it for years. So, so what? what no, you're not. You seem to always be drawn to things that give, um, and, and the services that give. So I don't. Yeah, and it's voluntary, isn't it? As well, you don't get paid for it, either, do you? I mean, I joined when I was ten, so I'm not sure I can remember that far back. Uh, yeah, it was quite a long time ago, to be fair, mate. Yeah, there we go. Now. Uh, but but what kept me in it, I think, is is again the experiences, uh, um, the uh, you know uh, the representing St John uh, at a national level with the youth council to standing in um, uh, you know the uh, any events, the Molyneux in, in Wolverhampton or the London Marathon, and volunteering my time to make sure somebody is. Uh, okay, and that they, they are looked after should they need to be. And, and St John is very much like the NHS. There's a family uh, of St John. There's people I've grown my whole St John career. I've, I've known and, and grown up with that. We've, we're good friends, you know. Now, uh, as as we were 20 years ago, that sense of belonging to something and that sense of do, doing something in the community in which uh, in which I live uh, and which I and which I work. Um, it's a, it's a great organisation, and we've we've seen it during COVID, haven't we? Our, our volunteers in St John have stepped forward, uh, and have gone and worked in our uh, emergency departments. They've gone and uh, carried uh, driven GPs around so that GPs can go and see P 
people who are sick, the blood transfusion services, driving ambulances, that sense of taking a step forward as part of community spirit. Um, uh, again, same as being in the NHS, really, same ethos, same sense of um, pride in, in what you do. Makes sense. Makes sense. Talk to you about some of the most challenging times of your career then, or in your life. I guess. So, I mean, the one that's just obvious at the minute is, is going into COVID. Uh, you know, um, I think if you asked any any coup or chief nurse or medical director, you know, what, what were those first few weeks like? Um, uh, you know, the, the fear was was just un, un, unreal. Um, what, the fear for, for the organisation being overwhelmed? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You think, and, you know, it's, it's difficult to think back to March. If you think back to March, yeah. uh, we've got the television telling us what was happening in uh, Wuhan, uh, Italy, Spain, the pictures that were being visually forced down our throats every single day, and the fear that actually we, we were going to get ourselves into that situation. I think probably gave us all really, really sleepless, sleepless nights. But at the same time, when we got to work the next day, pushed us to make sure that all of our teams were engaged, that we weren't going to get to going to get to that that point. So I, I, I think that's you know, by the time you're a key medical director, chief nurse, whatever, you you've seen a lot of things which help you become good incident directors or managers uh, of situations. No, nobody knew what this prolonged attack on our NHS could have looked like and what that could have manifested itself as. And, you know, in a major incident, you, you know, two or three days, you're in, you're out and you're, but this was going to be a prolonged attack on, on the NHS, which I think was, um, for all of us, gave us sleepless nights um, yeah. at, at the time. And now we're having sleepless nights about getting all the services back up, back up and um, back up and uh, running. Um, you know, making sure they're done and 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 delivered in a safe safe way for patients and and staff and staff who've worked so hard during the incident are are now tired um, are now tired yeah. and uh, and want something um, different. So. Um... Yeah, there's going to be an issue with staff well-being surely you know people are going to feel really really burnt out um and do you think you as an organization or the nhs as a whole um has a duty of care now to make sure that there is some well-being kind of practices put in place to make sure people are okay mentally and can have the breaks that they deserve and need 100 percent. yeah yeah in fact, our at UHM, our staff briefing today is absolutely focused on all things well-being. Um, uh, you know, asking individuals, ward managers, team managers, what what do they need, but also the more formal offering of council counselling and and debriefing. Um, uh, uh, you know, a whole whole host of things, and I think you know, I think the NHS teams are shattered. You know that they've run at this for four months now and as the adrenaline starts to wear off and the incident starts to wear off actually people are reflecting and and i think now is probably the time where those debriefing sessions those counseling sessions those ability to process what you've seen what you've heard what you've been through 
are where, where we're going to start having challenges um, uh, with our staff. And, you know, I'm sure every hospital is, you know, we're gearing ourselves up to be able to deal with all of those challenges at a time at which we're then having to gear back up our services, theatres, imaging, endoscopy, all of those services that now need to come back online, we're now trying to get them back offline because the size of the waiting list. It's a very unhappy equilibrium around giving people, our staff, the chance to reflect and, and, and you know, inwardly manage what they're dealing with without pushing them too hard to get the services back up and running. It's a fine balance at the moment. And I, I think we're all, we've got a thank you week next week. Every day is based on us thanking our teams, you know, everybody saying thank you to everybody and, and showing the great work that we've done, trying to bring the COVID incident to an end, but then be able to demonstrate how we're all going to move forward together. So, so staff are, uh, are clear and engaged about where they are and it, it's not easy it's not easy at all mm. on that on that thank you um agenda then what's what's your thoughts on the thursday night clap the thank you to the nhs workers and other key workers i think at the time it, it was one of those things that brought the whole community together uh as one um yeah. where, where where we where we live you know all of our neighbors uh, came out to, to clap. Um, all of our neighbours, we are all now on a WhatsApp group uh, because we were looking after each other, you know. Um, that sense of community that that bought, I think, is one of those things that I really hope we, we keep it going forward, that sense of we're all in it together, you know, we're all friends, we're all neighbours, we all look after each other. Uh, you know, walking down the street, you know, when you could go out for your hour walk a day, mm. everybody spoke to each other. Everybody, no matter where you were, morning, how are you? You know, all of those pleasantries where actually probably six months before you'd have just walked past people and wouldn't even have noticed. So, uh, you know, that class yeah. was a symbol of community, not not key work, because it's key work, it's keeping people going. But it's bigger, it's bigger impression was communities coming together for each other. And that's what I think we need to try and maximise on uh, as we go forward. Yeah, yeah. There was a couple of goosebump moments for me with it. You know, um, I think the first week, I don't, I don't think many people knew about it. But the second week, it was really quite, you know, the whole street, fireworks. But you could hear it. So we've got like a, our road adjoins to a, a longer road, like a really quite a long road. Um, and uh, you could really hear the other, because it's such a long road and you just, you know, it was, it was incredible, really, 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 really incredible. Um, it, it was it was a real show of community, you know, uh, Dunkirk spirit, you know, whatever, whatever mindset you get to, what it was, was everybody coming out to, to celebrate uh, uh, people, communities uh, and, and keeping going because um, that's what needed to happen uh, uh, at the time. And, you know, it's, clearly it's the NHS's birthday on Sunday uh, uh, this week and actually coming out and celebrating again as a show of solidarity and and community um, is, is a fitting gesture for, uh, I think she's 74, isn't she? You know, for the grand old beast that is. Yeah. 72, 72, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, is it, so, so Sunday, there's another thing, is there? I didn't know about it. So Sunday, that there's a there's another thing social again on social media around coming out at eight o'clock for the NHS. Right. 
72nd uh, uh, birthday. I'll be on my I'll be on my second bottle of wine by eight o'clock on Sunday. Yeah, and the rest. <laughs> um, awesome, awesome. So, um, let I just want to f- cover your your coup coup role because. Um, First of all, how do you describe your role? How would you describe what you do? Uh, so, coup, I thought that question might take a while to uh, to get an answer out of. <laughs> I guess uh, uh, when things go bad, it's the coup's fault. When things go good, the chief nurse and the medical director did well. That that's kind of how I think it sums up. Down bitter. Oh, <laughs> for me, you know, my, my job is about keeping everybody working together, beating together. You know, I, I sit in a triumvirate with the chief nurse and the medical director. We are linked together. You know, we don't make decisions away from each other because we are the people who are running and supporting the hospital on a day-by-day basis. You know, my eyes look down through outpatients, theatres, wards, you know, that the, the queue has a vast overview of pretty much, you know, two-thirds uh, of the hospital. It's a really privileged place to be in because you get to see everything uh, uh, that 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 goes on each day, and you know, and um, you have to be a certain uh, mad person, I think, to want to be a queue. You know, I think you know, out of all the vacancies at board level, you know, queue is one of the ones that is hardest to fill because you have to have a real sense of um, you, know, you want to be the queue because you want to see the good, you know, you want to see. The great you want people to be pulling together uh, and you want to be the person who's helping to support teams to to do that mm, yeah because uh, david uh lawton um your i assume your local nhs gb executive so he was the closing keynote at one of our events once um and he basically said that as a chief executive I'm not running the hospital. I'm looking at how the hospital, you know, I'm basically looking at things six months and onwards. Um, I shouldn't be working on anything that affects the hospital now or for the next six months. My job, my role is six months onward improvement type work, transformational type work. So, um, so yeah, so, so it's, uh, it's really the coup, the medical director and the uh, chief nurse that run it then you're saying. And I think what, what's interesting is when I went to see David as part of my interview for my first gig and he told me that, so that gave really? me that, uh, gave, he told me that very line and I think I've probably used it in each of my three coup interviews uh, ever since it's my job to keep it going day to day it's your job chief to keep eyes on on the six months because actually that's what you need the chief to be doing someone's eyes need to be on on the future and our eyes need to be on the here and now and keeping it keeping it going mm-hmm. do you know that I have a notoriously high um last minute dropout rate for coups when they come to my events you people sign up to my event and then on the day i get an email like so sorry jack it's gone it's gone mental i, I can't come that's the life of a coup <laughs> can't control us can't tie us down always somewhere where we shouldn't shouldn't be at the time when we should be somewhere else curse of the coup the curse of the coup is it is that what it is <laughs> cool cool well look i i uh i've really really enjoyed this conversation paul and um thank you so much for for being on being on the show um i've been on the show 
So we've, we just suddenly game got host. Bigger. We're a game host now. Yeah, we're a game host. Yeah. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Um, really, really uh, inspirational and some really, really good points um, and certainly some things for me to think about that you said. So thank you for that. Cheers, Jack. Good to see you. You too. So I hope everyone's enjoyed to get to know the person behind the job title. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to that episode of the PE podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure that you share this episode via your social media channels, as it really does help us to gain traction in promoting this podcast series. Please make sure that you also subscribe to the channel that you're listening via, as you'll then get notifications as soon as we release our next podcast episode. Thank you.